Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 443, featuring Jonathan Rothbart. And you may be wondering, wait, hasn't Jonathan Rothbart been on the podcast not too long ago? You are correct. He has been on. Uh, and we did talk about uh, the contributions that he had to John Wick Chapter 4. But he actually has an absolutely incredible past, which I didn't really catch on to the first time, not realizing who Jonathan was, and decided he needed his own episode to talk about his amazing contribution to the visual effects world. Uh, Jonathan, of course, uh, was very interesting. Um, he got interested in computer graphics from a screensaver. Can you believe that? That's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, he had a, a great, amazing career starting off in games, but then ended up at ILM and ended up starting his own company, the very well-renowned Orphanage, uh, which is an absolutely incredible company. And so we can talk about that. This does go into a very long podcast because it turns out that Jonathan has some incredible stories and I just didn't want to stop recording because it was so great talking to him and to hear all the amazing things that he's done for the industry. So really cool guy, really nice guy extremely humble and shy person as well, but I was really glad he was able to open up for all of this stuff uh, and be able to uh, give us a little bit of history that I guess is, is is so important for us to know about. And I'm really happy that he was able to do that. So thank you, Jonathan, for being on and for having this uh, incredible interview with you. All right, we do have a couple of interview uh, uh, updates to give you. I think I mentioned Vantage 2 is out. It is a really, really important package. I've actually sort of been going on a world tour talking about Vantage to not that necessarily that I need to I'm not a necessarily a salesperson I'm an uh, but I am very very excited about the stuff that's going on real-time ray tracing and uh, this is something that's happening especially influencing the world of virtual production and so this is really really cool so if you want to know more about Vantage 2 just go to chaos.com and learn more about it what's going on there uh, but if you want to know more about events that are happening that I will be attending uh, uh, just go to chaos.com slash events the first one I want to mention is going to come up very soon and that is September 20th through the 23rd. I'm going to be at THU Japan, which I'm very excited about. As you guys know, I go to a lot of THU events. I go to almost every single one. This one happens to be in Japan, which I am very excited about. I have never been to Japan. Actually, I have never been to Asia. Yes, believe it or not, I haven't actually been able to make it to that side of the world yet. And I'm very, very excited about my first trip to Japan and to see what THU is going to do there. So go ahead and check that out. I will also be at the VUE conference. Another thing that I, it's the first time I've ever attended a VUE conference. I'm very excited about that. That, of course, is happening at Inter in Italy. And that is going to be October uh, 15th through the 20th. So I'll be recording some podcasts over there. Or actually, both of these places I'll be recording podcasts. So lots of great stuff to report there. Uh, in other events, also, I want to make sure that you guys know Rhino World is happening in Barcelona on October 17th through the 19th. So you guys are interested in that, you should go check it out as well. Again, all of these things are listed at chaos.com slash events. Again, that is chaos.com slash events. Now, if you guys want to know more about the actual podcast, of course, you can just go to our podcast page. Always welcome to go there. That is chaos.com slash CG Garage. Uh, if you'd like to know more about us on social, you can always follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast. If you'd like to watch these podcasts, Always recommend that. They were available on YouTube. Just follow our YouTube, youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Also, please uh, don't stop. <laughs> don't let it stop because we've been getting some amazing recommendations. Uh, if you'd like to recommend uh, podcasts or have comments about podcasts or questions or anything else, you can always email us. Labs at chaos.com is where you can do that. Again, that is labs at chaos.com. But for now, 
Please enjoy episode number 443 with Jonathan Rothbart. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. All right, Jonathan. So last time that we met each other, we were talking about John Wick 4. By the way, congratulations. An amazing film. I loved it uh, and a lot of amazing work. Uh, but we never really got a chance to go in depth into some of your background, which I think is uh, fascinating. I would love to sort of talk about some of that. Can you, uh, first of all, like, you know, tell us how... What got you interested in filmmaking, computer graphics? Like, what 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 was your origin story? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, well, I was uh, I was way back when in college um, in '92, and I was working for a printer, and he had this old Apple. It was like a two E or something like that, just an old Apple um, computer, and. As a screensaver, he had this um, 3D vase that was just rotating on his computer. Right. And at the time, I just never seen anything like that before. And I just thought it was the coolest thing I ever seen that you could just have it floating on the machine. Um, so then I became fascinated with uh, computer graphics at that point. Um, I was an English major at the time. And uh, and then I just went down to the um, Media Arts Center in the uh, it, at the school and just started teaching myself on an old Amiga, um, the software packages that they had at the time. Sure. And, and from doing that, I was able to get, uh, a few gigs doing some stuff for the university, like some fly throughs and some commercial work, which was really fun. And so you were an English I, major. So how did you, so do you just do it on the side or? <laughs> yeah, I just did it at night. So I would go in there around 11 at night and I'd do it till about three in the morning and uh and just kind of work on it on my own all through the night and then i would go home on my own they would let me in there um so it was just me and the computers and nobody else at the time you know <laughs> not that there were a lot of computers down there or anything they're, they they weren't very common at the time sure so, uh, yeah i think they had two of them that they were super excited about um and then uh um so i i, I was just fascinated loved it and um after i graduated from college in 92 I then uh, started working for an advertising agency up in Phoenix. I was going to school at U of A in Tucson, and then I moved back up to Phoenix. Right. And I lived at home and worked, uh, bartended at night, and then worked for free actually doing uh, computer graphics for an advertising agency for between six months for two years of doing that. And what were you doing? Uh, what kind of graphics were you doing for them at that time? It was mostly, um, it was mostly titles and, uh, you know, Again, a lot of line design and um, kind of basic graphics. We were, you know, we worked on a PC. There weren't a lot of programs out there yet to do that kind of work. So um, you couldn't get too fancy in terms of what you were doing. Uh, we, I was trying to, because I was trying to learn 3D, I was trying to incorporate as much 3D as I could into whatever we were doing. Sure. Um, but again, it was, it was slow going, you know, it was one machine you rendered on your machine and, um, 
you know, just having blocks go across the screen with some images on them took, you know, a good couple hours to render that baby out. So. Yeah, <laughs> and we're using what we're using. If you're on a PC, we're using Macs or. Uh, yeah, I was in uh, 3D Studio Max. Oh, it was, it was actually 92 was before Max. It was probably in DOS, right? Oh, yeah, yes, <laughs> uh, for sure. And, right. and funny enough, when I was in high school and uh, um, I, I actually started learning programming in DOS just for whatever reason. And um, so I, I was comfortable around computers. I was always comfortable around computers. Right. I, was, I was the kid in, in school where... I had a, um, in my dorm, I had a, uh, um, a word processor. It wasn't even a computer. It was just a word. I was the only guy who had it, but it was a word processor. So I could write on it and I loved it just cause it actually would, uh, you could, you know, delete and replace. And so you could actually, uh, work on something and not have it, not like on a typewriter where you had to go back and, um, write it out and then rewrite it. But, uh, um, yeah, I was like the only kid I knew who had a word processor at the time. So yeah. <laughs> it was, it was kind of, a, um, it was definitely the nascent early stages of computer graphics for sure. Right. Um, and then I, and then, uh, from that, uh, from the advertising agency, yes, one of the guys who worked there ended up moving on to a gaming company that was also in Phoenix. And, uh, he mentioned that, Hey, they're, they need more people. So I went and interviewed over there and then got a job, uh, working at the gaming company. At first, all I was doing was more of the graphic stuff. And I actually did a lot of work in Photoshop animating effects in Photoshop where you would just literally, you know, do the effect on a frame uh, and then save it out. And then you would move the effect a little further and then save it out, move the effect a little further and then save it out. And you, you know, you did it all in Photoshop as opposed to anything that, uh, you could actually animate through. Yeah. That's like stop uh, motion. almost. <laughs> right? Pretty much, pretty much. It really was, you know, it's cause there just was like any kind of a lighting effects or warp effects or any of the stuff we were doing in the games. It just didn't have anything that created that look. So right. I would just figure out how to come up with a look in Photoshop and then figure out how to, you know, change the dials to animate it over a series of images. Yeah. And this was before, uh, after effects, right? So it's kind of, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't until I got to ILM that I got introduced to after effects. Right. Um, which was amazing, but, uh, yeah. So I did that for about a year and then, and then about six months in, I started uh, animating in 3d for the game. And that's when I started doing animating animation, um, in the game. animation yeah. in the games. Yeah. Which was super fun. And I was really into it. And you, it's a, it was one of those things where you could just put on your headphones and, you know, I just had Metallica blaring and you would just go and just crank all night along just animating and just zone out the whole world and just be into your animation. It was, it was, it was good times. What were you animating? What, so what was this game? Uh, it was called the hive, uh, uh -huh. and, um, it was, it was a game on rails and, um, you know, even back then again, the, the graphics weren't that amazing cause we were, you know, it was still the basic 3d studio max. There wasn't that many bells and whistles yep. to it yet. It, um, it wasn't even max yet. It was 3d studio max. Yeah. And, um, but uh but they had good some good rigging setups and just i just loved animating i just loved you know making things come to life and see things in motion i was just fascinated with it and, and just like i said you just get in there and 
and start cranking on it and, and just I would lose myself to the world. And we would work like 18 hours a day, but you didn't even think about it because you're just kind of in it and learning the whole time. And it was fun. Wow. Wow. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that's right. Like, so your, your, your roots really sort of started into the, the, the gaming world, but it's funny that you were inspired by a open GL screensaver. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it silly? It's so funny. You think of it now, it's just the silliest thing, but and it was just crazy. Cause yeah, I mean, it had nothing to do with it. It just literally, I had to print something out for the guy who was doing the printing and it was just, I went to his computer, it was on it. And yeah. that was kind of the, my, my first memory of seeing 3D graphics, really. I mean, it was being done in film a little bit, obviously by ILM, but that felt so big and out there that it was an untouchable thing. Plus yeah. they were still doing so much with models and everything else. Jurassic Park hadn't happened yet. Yep. Um, so, uh, so it really felt like this faraway place. And then, uh, but uh, as, as a kid, I was always fascinated with sci-fi and movies and games. It was just, I was one of those kids who loved all that. Um, and I would, I would, you know, go see, you know, so, you know, I was a kid who saw Indiana Jones probably 30 times in the theater or Star Wars or whatever. You know, I, I remember I cut class when, when, um, I was a kid to go see, I, I bought me and my friends, I rode my bike to the theater, bought my friends and I, uh, four tickets and then we all went and saw Empire Strikes Back that night but I, I skipped school to go get the tickets to make sure we could get in um, so I was just I, I, I was a love I loved movies and would see just about anything I could watch at the time and did you th when, you, when you when you were first looking at like that screensaver or sort of thinking about doing graphics on the media lab were you thinking about the film industry or were you just thinking about the graphics at that point just the graphics and yeah. I just wanted to understand it and I just see how to do it and see if I was interested in it right um because I remember uh as an English major um which is I love being an English major and I love that field uh as far as learning in college but it, you know it teaches you how to communicate and um, work well with people and understand the world and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, my mom was just frantically trying to find me a job <laughs> based <laughs> off of that. So, um, so I was constantly uh, getting uh, ads and whatnot from her on doing copy editing or, or, or something like that, but none of it really appealed to me. So I was, I was, you know, just kind of searching and I was trying out this computer graphics thing and she was nervous. Um, but, uh, but I just stuck with it. And then, um, then I had a friend who was a fraternity brother, uh, when I was in college, uh, named David Desorts, who had already started working at ILM in the art department, which I hadn't even known he was there at the time. And then, but I had, we had talked at one point, I mentioned to him that I was interested in um, the field. And it was really when I saw, uh, sorry, I'm jumping around. It no, was no, when no, I saw I, my, uh, my current wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was going to law school in Chicago. So I'd gone and visit her in Chicago. We decided to go see Jurassic Park uh, one night in a the theater. There it was this big theater in Chicago. And once I saw that, I was like, that's it. This is the only thing I ever want to do is, is work on movies. And right. do computer graphics and movies. Once I saw Jurassic Park, so and it's funny you made that connection. It's like, oh, that 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 screensaver and my love of movies comes together right here. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it really was. It was really great, and uh, and so um, and then not too long afterwards, uh, David Desorts contacted me because um, we had 
talked about at one point that I was interested in. And because uh, he was moving on to go work for uh, George Lucas to do episode one. So mm. uh, he was leaving the art department and uh, he basically started the, the very early, early stages of previs at ILM. And then uh, he was doing it for maybe a year. And then, um, so he he let, he was going to leave to go uh, start previs department for episode one and called me and asked me if I was interested, which of course I was. So he said, all right. Uh, and I, I contacted, he connected with Mark Moore, who was running the art department at the time. And he's like, Mark was like, great, come in. You know, it was like a, a Monday in a week or something like that. So then I started uh, putting together a reel of my work over the next week. And I would do that between the hours of like 2 and 5 a.m. every night. Um, and we were using these like huge platters to, you know, save out all of the, um, the data because they needed to be fast enough, which there wasn't a lot fast enough to save it out. So I would, you, I would have to render and then save it out and you'd build a reel and the reel was on a VHS tape. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so, and then you had to cut it together to, on the V to, and then put it on the, to music on the VHS tape, which was interesting. Um, and then I met with, uh, I met with Mark and, uh, he told me, great, why don't you, uh, we love you. And we, we, we want, he want, they wanted me to start in a week on Monday, which I was like, absolutely. And he's like, great. Uh, you know, you'll be working on the Mac and which I had never touched before, had no idea. And, um, and, uh, we'll start on, have you start on Monday, which was all amazing. I, I'd flown up to San Francisco just for this interview um and were you still uh, technically living in phoenix at the time or or i was living in phoenix i even told my i even told my boss at the um gaming company that any of this was going on at the time it wasn't really that kind of company and uh and so then so then i got back and i uh then i told my boss look i'm i'm leaving in a week on monday Sorry for the short notice, but I'm going to ILM and work on movies. And his response was, that seems like a the wrong decision. You could stay here and do games. I'm like, I'll see you later. So, right. um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so then I had to pack up all my stuff and I, I moved and, uh, to San Francisco and, um, I stayed at David's place, which we eventually got a place together, um, for the first couple of weeks while I was there and just spent all my time trying to learn how to use a, a Mac computer and, uh, I worked on electric image and Photoshop. And then shortly afterwards, you know, in, um, shortly afterwards is when I started, uh, I got introduced to After Effects, which was COSA at the time. Right. Adobe hadn't bought it yet. Uh, and, um, and I was hanging out with the um, Matt Payton team. It was Paul Houston and Yusei and um, Eric and... Um, Shavan and then Eric basically was the one who taught me After Effects and the first thing I had to do was I was working on some commercial and they wanted an Indiana Jones type map fly through thing yeah so that was yeah so that was the first thing I ever did in After Effects was figure out how to get a map in there and do the fly and have the the line go and the dot and all that kind of yeah like the the airplane flying and the dot right yeah 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 um so that was the first thing I ever did in After Effects, um, and then, uh, and then I was, you know, pretty much the previs department for all of ILM. So I would 
work on every show we had just about at ILM at the time, which was so fun because I worked on so many different projects and got to deal, you know, I was working with Dennis Muir and I was working with John Knoll and I was working with um, Eric Barba. I mean, it was all great. It was great. Right. Just had so many opportunities and you just, you learn so much from those guys. I mean, I, I it was, it was, it was an incredible experience because I just, you can't, it's hard to even put in words how much you learn from just being around those guys and them giving you comments and you working. It just it really set the tone for how I kind of still follow my career and, and, and how I work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, that was amazing. And John in particular, John Knoll, uh, was really into electric image and After Effects once, you know, and of course, Photoshop. Um, can you explain so, it? Cause I don't think a lot of people know what electric image is. Can you give it a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's not, it's, it's kind of a little bit of ancient history. It's old. Days. It's old. Yeah. Um, electric image was a 3d application for after effects or for, for the Mac. It was like yeah. the only one I think you could use on the Mac at the time. And it was actually pretty amazing. It was doing stuff that you really, uh, couldn't do on a PC at the time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, especially when it came to shaders, it was really cool. And it, you know, it, it had a lot of uh, visual feedback on shaders that you didn't necessarily have in a lot of other applications. Because, you know, at ILM, everybody was on Linux or Unix and they were using in-house um, software. And so when people wrote shaders at ILM at the time, they were writing it in code and, and you couldn't really even see what it was it was going to look like until after the render was done. Right. Where in electric image, I remember it was so cool because we had a ball, right? We right. had a little ball and we could dial the shader and you'd see the feedback on the ball. So you just knew what you were going to get from the ball. And at the time, you're like, this is so cool. You know? right. <laughs> feedback. Right. Um, but, uh, and then it was, the, the worst part was um, rendering in After Effects, um, which got way worse later on when I started doing real graphics, uh, real shots in After Effects, um, just because it was so slow. And if you had to make an adjustment, literally you would just sit there and stare at the screen with your wide eyes wide open, not blinking, which is what eventually destroyed my eyes, um, just waiting for, cause there was no update bar or anything like that. So you just had to wait and then it would change. And if you missed it for a second, you missed the change. So you, and there was no going back and seeing what it was like before or anything like that in the beginning stage of it. So it was, you just had to sit there and stare at the computer as hard as you could for as long as it took. It was, uh, it was painful, yeah. but, uh, um, but cool stuff. And, um, so, uh, I was doing all the, the previous work and I was um, working on some uh, side project uh, that uh, we were doing. And I was working out with John uh, Noel because uh, um, we were doing, uh, I was doing this little intro for uh, some tech for a tech um, conference. Okay. And, and it was, a, it, it had, it started with the moon and the, and the, it was going to be this little probe, this, uh, uh, the Sputnik that go, it goes by the moon and comes back to Earth and then it projects down a big image in front of over North America and for the moon uh, for the uh, uh, the show uh, was the intro and uh, John Knoll if anybody knows knows he just is fascinated by the moon and moon landing and so he he really was interested in it so he helped me out a lot um, in doing that which 
in turn, I learned a lot while doing it. Um, and then when I started that, John uh, became excited about it. And while we were doing the re-release for Star Wars, the original, um, uh, uh, I guess four, and um, and the um, what we did, what he did was he did a, a shot of an X-wing fighting uh, at the Death Star, and George thought it was amazing because John basically just did it in his you know kitchen or dining room table or wherever John works at home. Um, but uh, so from that, they uh, John wanted to create a small group of artists within ILM, which is going to be this little boutique in ILM where the idea would be one artist, one shot. So instead of having the whole pipeline, we were going to be able to do a single shot. Uh, we were modeling in form Z and, you know, animating and lighting and electric image. And then we were compositing in um, uh, After Effects. And then uh, and you did all your textures in Photoshop. So this is this everything. is the beginning of the generalist pipeline that they had there. Right? Yes, it was the it was the birth of generalist pipeline for sure. Which and, is very contradictory. Contrary to the way things operated back then, everyone had one task, yeah. one artist, right? <laughs> In every little part of it. Right. And, the, and, you know, even down the road, I was doing all my own roto. We had to do everything. Right. So, um, uh, and we, it was, it was super, so it was myself, um, and then Matt Hendershot and our team was led by Stu Mashwitz, yep. um, who later I became partners with the orphanage. Uh, and then John Knoll was kind of our figurehead for the group. And um, we were prepping ourselves to work on uh, episode one. But before that, we actually worked on Star Trek because uh, um, that was uh, John Knoll's show. So he asked us to do. And it was fun for me because before we started on Star Trek, it, before I had switched over, uh, I was doing all the previs for all of the spaceship work on Star uh, Star Trek at the time. So it was, it was super cool for me because I was creating all these shots for Star Trek, which I just thought was uh, awesome. Right. And, um, and then, uh, and then once, uh, and then I moved over, um, I, then I started doing finishing shots for it, which was, um, which was really cool. And, uh, and that's when you, we really started pushing all of those tools to their limits. And, um, a big part of making that happen was Stu, who uh, is just a brilliant guy uh, with software. And um, and we we were very close with After Effects and really trying to work with After Effects to build tools so that we could actually do um, full shots for film because, you know, we had to figure out a way to, to work with um, EXRs or Cineon files at the Cineon time. Cineon files. Yeah, Cineon files at the time. So, you know, the, the software wasn't designed to handle that color space. So we had to come up with a system to work uh, in that color space, in log color space. And then um, and then uh, and then render out all of our files to be able to be utilized in log space, which then we converted in After Effects. So uh, but it was all very, you know, it, it, we were figuring out everything as we went. For yeah. Sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the the legendary story is that you guys made the first pod race. Like that was one of your big sequences. Is that correct? No, that is not correct. That is not uh -oh. correct. Actually, um, the pod race was designed by David and his team up north, but we actually, we did all the space battle work. The space That's battle work. We, okay. Yeah. The rules for us were we couldn't, we couldn't do any characters. 
the the, the tools just right. couldn't handle character work. Okay. So we had to do all of our work was either hard surface or environment. Oh, okay. Later, yeah, and we became uh, very close to the mat department because we ended up doing a lot of 3D work that then they would we would project the mat um, work that uh, the mat guys were painting. Mm-hmm. Um, onto the 3D and then render it out. So we ended up becoming very close uh, to the map board. It was a really cool time because um, we were, the art department was back at ILM when we were at the Kerner days, they were all in separate buildings and we were in this building called G Building, they all numbers, very mm-hmm. letters. And G Building consisted of the art department, um, the model department, the uh, ultimately the map department and then Rebel Mac, which mm-hmm. we were affectionately known as. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, so it was just the greatest thing because I had all these incredible matte painters around me. Uh, I, I, being in the art part, department was also incredible. I was working with, you know, uh, George Hull and Guy Dias and um, uh, Scott Lebrecht and just all these brilliant artists. And, um, and then, uh, and, and then why we'd have renders going, I would wander back to the model shop and ask if I could paint on some models while I was back there, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. So I just got to be around all of it. What uh, were the matte paint? Were they matte painting in Photoshop at the time or were they still doing traditional painting? They were, they were matte painting in Photoshop. Um, Yeah. When I first got to ILM in the art department, the first thing I was tasked with doing was kind of teaching the artists to switch from working on, paper to working on the computer. So right. I was teaching them all. My my biggest claim to fame, I like to say, is that I was teaching George Hull how to use Photoshop. Um, uh, but um, but yeah, so uh, so the first at first the, it was funny, the the artists they would they would still do everything on paper, then they would they would scan it right. um, on a flatbed scanner, and then they would start working on their um, their drawn work on t- they would start doing touch-ups digitally on top of it. And, and then eventually, obviously they just, the paper went away, yeah. but, um, but, uh, yeah. So the map painters all had, it. even when I got there at ILM, the map painters were already working in Photoshop. Mm. Yeah, um, so they were masters in Photoshop when I already got there. So I'd, I'd go there to ask for them or John Noel for right. Photoshop advice, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then, um, Eric Chauvin, like I said, was the first one that taught me after effects. And once I seen that, I just thought it was now, now you can do anything. But uh, um, so yeah, so uh, when we started Romac, we did we started doing this the Star Trek shots, uh, which was was so cool because when I was doing the previs for it, it never occurred to me that I would actually be doing the final shot for it. So to jump from previs to final shot in working and you know all of our work had to still we would. We would go to dailies just like everybody else, and you're sitting in what was called C Theater, which is big theater, and you have the entire crew in there, and John sitting in the front with his laser pointer, giving comments on all the shots, and um, and you're you're always just dailies was the most stressful thing. You're nervous as hell going into dailies, right? Uh, at LM because everybody's looking at it, and then you know once once John starts commenting and things, other people start bringing it up and you're just like, your head's in your hand. You're just like, Oh my God, my shot sucks. Right. But, um, and you, you know, and I was just obsessive about it. I wanted my shot to be perfect every time out. So I would literally, I just slept under my desk and I would just stay there and let after effects render. And if something mixed, I'd, 
go back and do it again and then render it. And if something missed, I would go back and do it again. And I would be there all night before, uh, before I was submitting the dailies, just because I wanted to make sure that whatever I got in there was, uh, was, was the best it could possibly be. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was really amazing because we were putting our electric image after effects shots right next to all the high end, you know, uh, Unix Linux shots that they were using, um, at ILM. So it was, it was really cool time for sure. And then, um, and then after that, we actually went on and did, uh, we did all the screen, the egg screens for men in black. So, um, right. which was super fun because it kind of got me back to my, my graphics roots a little bit. Right. Um, so I, I had a ball with that. And then, um, and, uh, it was cool. Cause we were also, uh, working with the art department where, uh, David Nakabayashi, who uh, now runs the ILM art department, uh, he was designing all the look of, uh, you know, stills of all the looks that we we're going to do in the eggs. And then we had to, uh, make everything move and animate. Um, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was really cool. It, <laughs> one story I, I, I uh, I got a lot of shit for it. Uh, <laughs> like I said, in dailies, it's just nerve wracking because everybody's in there and you're just, you're, everybody's watching and you're, you're getting comments. And I had rendered one out and after effects used to do this, this fucking thing where if it lost the footage, it just put color bars yes. in place of it. Right. Yes. Um, so you would just end up with these color bars. And I was doing this one egg shot where it was all it was it was supposed to be all these different guys are aliens mm -hmm. and it was like Sylvester Stallone and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and then it, it, it was um I forget the guy who does the news the weather but it, Al Roker mm -hmm. and it was so I was just doing all these people that uh um Tony Robbins um but uh so they were all supposed to be in there and they were basically supposed to be aliens mm -hmm. and uh so I rendered the shot and everything was looking fine. And then I actually went home that night. And uh, when it showed up for dailies the next day, somehow midway through the shot, it lost the connection to all of the um, all of the different footage. So when my dailies came up, it showed color bars in everything in my dailies. And to this day, I still take shit from definitely Stu Mashwitz uh, about rendering color bars for dailies. But uh yeah so it was yeah it was uh um yeah there was there was a lot of pitfalls and it was it was it was, it was fun because you just you just never knew what you were going to get when you were doing it and uh you were just so focused and in it and it was just such a new world and island was such a cool place at the time where just everybody was kind of in it to win it together and we had this and by that time our group was expanding and we had, i think it we had uh then taken on three new artists at that time which was like Craig Lynn, Coley Wirtz, and Shadi Amasazadi. Um, uh, and those guys are all, um, have gone on to do a, a full careers in our industry. But, um, but yeah, so, oh, Billy Brooks was the other one. But, uh, but yeah, so we had, we had expanded a bit. And, uh, but we were just, we just, we were kind of our literal unit in G buildings. So we were just having a blast because it was just us kind of at times against all of ILM in some ways because a lot of, uh, there were certainly people at ILM who didn't love what we were doing because it was against the nature of what was happening at ILM. And uh, at the same time, it was a little harder for production because they couldn't track us in the same way that they were tracking the rest of their show. Right. And the only way to track us was just to come to us and say, well, how long do you think? <laughs> you know, we were, yeah. 
like, uh, well, like, you know, you know, right. And, uh, and that's when everybody started calling us rebel Mac. It, um, and so, uh, we took it to heart a little bit. So we would just kind of do our own thing and, and, uh, just say, well, it all looks great. We give you guys great shots. You'll get them when you get them and, uh, we'll be on time. Don't worry. And right. we'll deliver. And so, uh, and because nobody else was relying on us, on us and we weren't relying on anybody else because we were doing all of our own shots, we could just, just kind of get away with it. Right. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, and the, and that was certainly, you know, there were, there were definitely, uh, the guys in our group, uh, such as myself and Billy and Matt, uh, we, we all kind of a little anti-authority anyway. So, um, so yeah, so we were, they we were, were used we to were, anti-authority at that point. They got, I got, they, spaz you working know, there. Certainly, <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. No, there was definitely a tradition of that at ILM. No problem. Right. But we certainly embodied it within our group. No, no doubt about it. <laughs> right. Um, yes. Yeah, spaz, spaz definitely beat us to the punch when it comes to anti-authority. At ILM. <laughs> um, yeah, they, uh, the, and then, um, and then we started working on star Wars episode one. And uh, that was just an, an amazing time. We were doing space battle work, which I was always in love with the space battle yep. uh, in films. So it, to me, it was just the most incredible thing. Oh, <laughs> going back, I will say now that I think about it, the first thing I ever did for ILM uh, for Previs was um, George Hull was... Uh, doing a new painting uh for cloud city and we were going to do the millennium falcon doing an extra shot on empire of the millennium falcon flying through cloud city and so i got to design how the ship was going to fly through cloud city as uh, how the falcon was going to fly through cloud city and i was working with george on it and whatnot but that was just incredible i got the, i walk in ilm and they're like okay the first thing you need to do is get the millennium falcon into your system and build a cloud city uh, that can be flown through with the Millennium Falcon. And it was just, that was okay. <laughs> you know, I'm yep. in. I'm in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was awesome. And, um, but that, so then, so then I started doing actual space battle shots and that was cool. Cause you're just, we were animating the new, the Naboo Starfighter and, um, and all the other ships and just having an amazing time with it. And again, back to, you know, sleeping under your desk and working 18 hours and 19 hours a day and all that stuff to, uh, to get the shots done. Cause yeah, that was, that was a labor of love, like nothing else where we were all working so hard to do just the best version of that movie we possibly can, right. uh, and having fun with it. Um, and we were all really proud of the work we did and love the movie, but we were all really proud of the work we did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, we were working on that and, uh, that was a big part. And then, and then, uh, I'll tell you one other little story. I got, I got in big trouble during that time because, um, I had, uh, I had painted the Naboo Starfighter for us to use in, uh, in our group. There was another version of it that they were using in CG, but for our group, I had done, I became... Uh, pretty good at texture map work and paint work. Um, Coley Works was an incredible modeler, so he did a lot of the model work. Uh, and so we got segmented a little bit in that way, but we could all still use all the tools and would fix up our own stuff and whatnot. 
But when I was doing the Naboo, Bar Naboo Starfighter, um, I thought it'd be cool. I did, you know, on the side of the ship, they have the the call sign for all the pilots. So there was the straight up one that was um, that we had from CG that I used, but then I actually did one for each artist uh, in our group. So I was like, well, just put it on there for each time you use it and you'll have your own real name on the Naboo Starfighter as it flies by. Uh, and they're just flying by. You can't ever see it. Nobody would ever see it in there. Sure. Um, and, and for me, the base one, I just, for fun, I put J Bart is the, I, my, everybody called me an island J Bart because that was just my, um, login for right. email. But, uh, when I was in the, uh, art department doing previs, I was working on so many shows and it, back then at the island, they had a paging system. That's how they got a hold of you at the paging system. Right. So I had all these coordinators who were paging me constantly all day long. So it was always like J Bart call two three zero two J Bart call four eight four, and so it was just and, and people walk around like who is this guy? Um, so uh, for fun, I just put J Bart is the man on the side of the ship uh, in the little call sign. It was tiny, and uh, it was all fine. Nothing happened. It was all good. We did the movie. It was great. But then marketing took my files apparently to do to uh, um, do their posters do and uh they actually use it on the model box right they made for the, for the model the new starfighter and they didn't notice it on the model box necessarily but then when they did they did a 30 foot poster of the new starfighter profile and that's when you saw on the side j bart is the man it's plain as day and uh and that's when i got in trouble <laughs> and, and uh um so, so marketing was definitely really angry with me and, um, and Island was really angry with me. And so, you know, and, and Stu was awesome. He was, he was trying to protect me on it. And, uh, and eventually it got, it, it got to George and Island wanted to fire me and, uh, for doing it. And George and to his credits, like it is a tradition at ILM to put names and things. And so, uh, he said, no, you're not going to fire him. <laughs> and, good. uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. And so, uh, I ended up, uh, not getting fired at ILM. I, and, I have uh, seen many textures with many inappropriate things, <laughs> way, way less appropriate than your name is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were, I think it was the models and the posters that really pissed me yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was funny because when we were in the meeting with the execs, and Stu is there and they're like, is anyone else in your team done anything else that we have to know about? Right. And I was like, I don't know, nobody, I don't know. And Stu was like, uh, no. And, but it turned out what Stu had done was when one of the big donut ships explodes, yeah. um, all the lights go out. And for one frame, the last lights spell out Stu. So, <laughs> which, and then, and then, uh, then he also, um, Fessed up to the fact that in Star Trek, because uh, Stu always wore Converse, right. that two different colored Converse, uh, that there's a Converse flying around fighting in Star Trek um, in the background. Right. But uh, um, but yeah, so we'd all been doing it all. Along. It was it was just a funny moment at ILM. Yep, I have and, I have uh, a similar story to you. I was working on Day After Tomorrow, which I know you. Ah, yeah, you yeah. worked on that yeah. one as well. But uh, we were working on a building, uh, one of the Hollywood buildings in the movie where the, the reporter gets hit by a billboard. 
Uh, uh-huh. And so the billboard was supposed to be Angeline or, or, or that's what ended up in the movie. But we were waiting right. for permission to for a long time. So I just put up a temporary poster up there of like uh, what's on the billboard. And uh, as a joke, we, you know, I was taking reference pictures because I was building all the uh, all the billboards. Uh, I took mm-hmm. a, a picture of one of those things that says accident at work, you know, like call 1-800-LAWYER. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then I, I put my own face as the lawyer face as a joke because I thought, yeah. hey, wait, why awesome. not? You know, because it's temporary. It's not going to work and, you know, whoever. And so uh, everyone's laughing about it. And then it's like, oh, well, eventually we're going to just replace it with Angelina. It's like, great. But apparently the shot guys used that same poster on all the cabs in New York. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> so the cabs had him on the thing. So I am still you can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great tradition. I love it. Yeah. I actually even I've even carried it all the way through career on Deadpool. My one of my favorite ones is on Deadpool. Yeah. On the um on the fight that happens on the overpass. Yes, yes. Um the exit street is Parker because that's my daughter's name. Right. And um, so I put Parker on the, on the exit. Uh, on the, it was like Parker Avenue or something like that. Right. And it was really right. funny. And we, in that I fur, uh, Oh, I had first put it. Uh, we had done uh, a little um, sizzle reel for Comic-Con. I think it was Comic-Con uh, uh, for Deadpool and, Tim went out and pre- Tim Miller, the director, went out and pre- presented it. Yeah. And in it, just for fun, I put uh, I originally put Miller Avenue, and then and then online everybody was saw it and then was giving Tim shit about it, saying you know how arrogant he puts his own name in the movie and like that, everything like that. And he had no idea, right? So so he came back to me. He's like, "What are you doing to me? You've <laughs> got to take that off there." Like, okay, I'm so sorry. It was just funny. Um, so uh, so then I put Parker on there. Yep. But of course, everybody looks at every frame all the time in those movies. Yep. And then you see online all these theories about Spider-Man's going to be in the next Deadpool because there was Parker on the sign on the road. And it was funny because really it was just my daughter. Um, <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. funny. Awesome. I mean, awesome. Yeah. But uh, um, anyway, so that was that was it back in my lab. Right. And then... Um, and then after episode one, I had uh, um, I'd really started um, getting close to my friend and future business partner Scott Stort, mm-hmm. and um, and I was starting to do a lot of side side jobs of just you know little graphics stuff for you know just side gigs, mm-hmm. and um, and we started doing and I started doing it, and then and then I started doing some more. And then it started getting to the point where I was hiring people. I had so much, I was hiring people to uh, actually do the work and just supervising because it was too much work and I couldn't do it. And uh, and I was still working at ILM at the time too. So um, so then um, I got married and left to go on my honeymoon and all that. And then I came back and worked on Sleepy Hollow because I really wanted to work with Jimmy Mitchell, who I just think is amazing and uh just amazing guy and his incredible talent so uh i i I just i wanted to work on that show with him so i stayed and worked um uh doing a couple shots for sleepy hollow and then after that 
uh, it's so much other work going on that uh, we started the orphanage. Mm -hmm. uh, myself and Scott Stewart uh, started it, and then Stu Mashwitz came on a little later. But um, what happened was I was in, I went I was doing at the time Scott had already left ILM and was evangelizing for Puffin Design, which was um, making. Um, God, I can't think of the name. Uh, Scott Squire's uh, rotoscope tool. Right. So it's rotoscoping. Um, and then, uh, so they were they were going to do a show in Amsterdam and uh, asked me if I wanted to come and uh, uh, work and show it at, 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 you know, at a booth in, in Amsterdam, which was like, of course. Uh, so uh, I did that and we left and, and that's when Scott and I got really close and we decided, you know, we could just, do all this work and um, do it ourselves. So uh, it was shortly after that I finished Sleepy Hollow, and then I left ILM and we started the orphanage. Wow! And we ended up the first work we did was actually uh, some work for ILM commercials, and then um, uh, and then we worked on Mission to Mars. Jackie Lopez, who had been at ILM, who was a producer there, left ILM. I think she's back. Something to do with Lucas now, but. Uh, and then uh, we, um, so she had hired us to do uh, roto paint for Mission to Mars, and they were these ugly, brutal shots, just brutal shots. It was right. they're supposed to be in zero G, and they're floating all around, and the cables they gave the room spinning, and the cables they gave them were flew, flying around all over the place, and and the lights were flashing, so no frames was it was brutal roto work, just brutal. Right, and we were, and the um, and the tools were you know early back then, so <laughs> it was hard. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and you had to load, and then you had to load all your shots onto exabyte tape, and then turn it in exabyte tape, and how you, how you got your shots out. Wow. Um, yeah, when we were um, we were just working in this little office. It was funny. Uh, we were sharing it with the Res Magazine guys, and um, which remember is, Res Magazine? Cool. Wow. Yes. <laughs> old. Oh, it's all old school. Yeah, man. All old school. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, because this was in 2000 now. Yeah. 2001. And um, so uh, we were sharing this office in, in San Francisco. There's this building called the International Center. And it was just all these different groups were in this building. So while we were working, there was, a, there was an Olympic swimming pool at the, at the bottom. And, um, and then outside on the stoop were all these pigeons were hanging out and just crapping on our stoop all the time and it was just tiny little space and then uh and it was, and we were at the top so it was hot as hell and but or not the top because one floor above us was a dance studio so while we were trying to work to get stuff done it smelled like a, co a combination of chlorine and uh and whatever smell the bird poop was giving us right. It was hot as hell. And then above us, they were dancing all the time, just pounding on the ground on our ceiling all the time. It was just the craziest scenario to try and get work. So we would just put our headphones on and just crank music as loud as we could while we were trying to work. You just wow. Focus on. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, and then, uh, but, it, and then, so that at the time it was just Scott and I working. And then, um, and then as we needed more work, we hired, uh, uh, Kevin Bailey and Ryan Tudhope, who are our first two artists who were working with David Wazorts prior yep. um, up at uh, on episode one. Right. And they were so young when we hired them that uh, we had to buy them beer. They couldn't even buy their own beer. So we'd have to go buy beer for them and bring them back to the office so they could have beer that night. Um, but uh, and so they affectionately became known as the kids. Right. Uh, 
but uh, uh, yeah, so uh, and then that that's when we got um, an office in the Presidio. So we had moved to the Presidio, and ILM was still at Kerner at the time, right? And we had uh, it, this uh, office in this. It was one room, and we were all in it in the Presidio. And eventually, uh, we expanded to be you know 150 people, and uh, took over a mass of this building and just kept on moving other people out and taking more and more space up in Presidio, which was so cool to work in the Presidio. It was, it was, it was so cool to work there. Although it was also hard because there's tons of rules working in the Presidio Mm -hmm. and uh, you're working in these old, uh, you know, military buildings that aren't wired or, you know, we, we had to do a huge deal just to get us fiber to our building so we could actually get a a fast enough internet connection to work. And then, routing the whole place and uh you know there was definitely days of building desks building chairs building computers you know running cable and everything else it was it was super fun right yeah and when we originally started the orphanage the concept was uh it was both going to be a production company and then we were using visual effects to finance our short films we were making at the time okay uh and we had made a series of short films uh, with some with uh, some really great filmmakers, and then um, so we were we were trying to do that, but also uh, the visual effects side, we were using that, like I said, just to kind of finance all that work. And um, while we were making those films, Stu Mashwitz had built this tool, which he called Magic Bullet, because at the time uh, people were starting to shoot digitally, but it was all on like Sony hand cams and yep. Sony cameras and things like that. And everything was shot at 35 frames per second. So Stu had built this tool to convert um, 30 frame interlaced to 24 progressive. Right. And um, so uh, we had to run the whole, um, everything we shot, we had to run through this tool and uh, to make it uh, look uh, like progressive at 24 frames. And in addition to that, we had built in um, a suite of look tools to go with it. Yep. And uh and then with that we got hired uh by a production company to do uh called Indigent to do 10 films with big filmmakers uh to, to shoot digitally. So and then they hired us to convert them all to 24p and then we did the all the look suite work to them as well. So we got to do basically all the DI work and then convert it. So we we thought it was really cool and we were the the technical support for making those movies. Cause at the time, I don't know anybody who knew how to do that stuff better than we did. Cause we were just so deep in it. And because we were building the conversion tool and then we started selling that, you know, magic bullet, mm-hmm. uh, which ultimately died out when people for as a conversion tool, because they started making cameras at 24 P, but the look suite has lived on even till today. And Stu, sure. um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, when we um, really started doing a lot more film production work. Um, but it, all that, even as that was all still going on, we still were working on visual effects as a, um, a way to pay for it. Cause there was really no money. Not that there was a huge money in visual effects, but there was also uh, not a lot of money in what we were doing. Cause it was so new. We didn't even know how to price it, you know? Right. Um, not to mention, you know, these were small productions. Nobody's going to pay us a lot of money to do it. Sure. Um, uh, 
but yeah, so that was kind of the early days of the orphanage uh, and what we were working on. Um, uh, and then uh, things just kind of, we, we were just, but we, we had a very heavy ILM mentality as we, our, our goal was always, it has to be as good as whatever we did at ILM. Can't be, can't be anything less than that. So we put that level of expectation in anything we did in the orphanage. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in like any small company, we ended up getting bigger projects and bigger projects and bigger projects are in, you know, our first really big show uh, was Hellboy. Right. That was our first, we had 300 shots in Hellboy. And that what was- What were the sequences was, you were working on? I just watched it today or two days ago. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Um, we did, uh, um, we did the whole underground um, scene where he's underground in that big environment. Yes. Uh, underground. So we, we got to both design that and then um, build the environment for that and do all the shots in there. And that was super cool. We had, um, at the time, we had Mike Fingrazio, who's a brilliant artist, uh, him and Brian Flora and uh, a bunch of other guys. But they were basically designing that environment. Um, and then uh, and then at the same time, we were doing uh, the shots where uh, the Liz Fire work. Oh, right. Um, yeah, which was super cool because uh, this was my first time I actually got to supervise uh, practical shoot where we did because for the fire we actually when she she blows fire blows through a hallway and it blows everything up we actually uh shot that in a stage and we had built a um a, a model of the set but we had blackened it all and then tilted it vertically and then shot the flames coming up at us for and then other flame elements and whatnot um and then composite that into that scene so that was my first chance to really oversee practical shooting for um on a stage which was really cool yeah good fire <laughs> um, yeah 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 big fire and uh um and then so we did all the list stuff and um when the ragnarok sky opens up and all that we did that work right um and, and then we the one character shot that we did was the birth of ed the creature with all the tentacles mm -hmm. um LF-19 was the shot. And uh, the reason I know the name is because that was one of the most painful, most difficult shots I think I've ever had to do because we just didn't have the tools yet at our facility to do it. We, we thought we did, but it completely crashed our network, right. that shot, because all of these uh, pieces of it flying around in circle. It was all sand. It's built from the sands. So the right. sand's all flying around it, and it just destroyed our systems just just grinded everything to a halt and so were you still using and, max at the time or what were you guys using no that was in um maya he had okay. been doing that one in maya we had moved on to maya at that point right um but we just didn't have enough render a big enough render farm a fast enough system so it was just killing everything and at the at the time i think that's when we were starting to work on a bunch of those shots from after day after tomorrow too is it right. was building up we'll get a supervisor on day after tomorrow working on that show and uh and but uh we couldn't get the shot done and we didn't know we were gonna get it done and um and guillermo's freaking out and uh and, and yelling at me daily and uh and so and so 
it was all hands on deck. Just you just had everybody coming in to try and help us get this shot done. And everybody was taking a piece and we were just trying to do everything. Even Ellen Poon, uh, who's a friend from ILM, she came in and was helping us out to, to do stuff. So it was, it was just getting everybody in there just to get this one shot done that, and literally I didn't leave the office for four days and I didn't sleep for three of them and just trying to get this shot out. And, uh, we eventually got out, eventually looked good. And, um, but it was, it was painful. So LF 19 is, is my shot that you will never forget. Yep. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but crazy time. And I remember afterwards going home, I hadn't slept in three days and I go home and I go into my, my back porch, which is just like steps with rocks and concrete, you know, sure. uh, on it. And I had this mutt lab and he was laying next to me and I just laid my head on him and passed out for like five hours, just as my dog is my pillow on rocks and concrete. Wow. Just in the sun. I was just dead. And I woke up to the producer at our facility, Jody Etchgary. Um, he calls me with our CEO and says, you need to come in. This was Sunday. He's like, you need to come in on Monday and start uh, overseeing day after tomorrow because we're having issues. I was like, I haven't slept in three days. This was a death march, the show we were just on. Right. And, and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. There's yep. no way. And then, and they kept on talking to me and they're like, this is your company. You have to do it. And finally I was like, fine, I'll be there Monday, but I'm not coming in early. <laughs> right. But, but, and then went straight on a day after tomorrow after that and uh oversaw finishing that which you know all those shows are they're so hard you know you're working so hard and, and that was back in the days when everybody put in so many hours yep and it was just a grind and you guys are working on the helicopter up. crash sequence is that right or we did the helicopter crash sequence yeah, yeah. and then um and then we also big did the big storm yep uh uh, uh, work as well, where you saw the, the eye of the, the storm. storm. Yeah. yeah. Um, which Stu was kind of helping them figure out how to get that. And we, it was funny. Um, uh, cause everybody kept on trying to do it CG. And then we were saying in our group, and then when Stu and I came on, we're like, no, no, let's do some practical things to make this look good. And that's when we really start that got that going was we would start photographing different things and incorporating it. Right. Um, and then Stu was helping that, and I basically then we split up, and I helped out with the uh, crash sequence. But even to the point where we were outputting our last day, and there were problems with comps, so myself and uh, Ben Grossman, uh, we were um, who was the comp soup on the show. Right. Uh, we just started. We set up two desks side by side, and we we just started recomping all the shots as they were coming through and fixing all these shots and just composing. It was just he and I at 3 AM, just cranking out shots, wow. uh, trying to get them done next to, next to each other. And it was, uh, it was crazy. It was fun though. It was fun. I wow. mean, crazy, but fun and stressful, you know, but, uh, um, yeah. And then, uh, so that was, that was day after tomorrow. We finished that. Um, and then God, I, I don't know directly what we did after day after tomorrow. The first, I know the first show, I was ever the sole supervisor on the show was a little um, horror film called Jeepers Creepers 2. Right. Uh, which was, uh, which was 
really fun and entertaining to do. It was, it was that one was crazy. When we were shooting, uh, Ryan Tidehope had gone with me, and we were in the grapevine at T Home Ranch. If you've ever driven up there from LA to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. San Francisco, and it was the middle of summer, so it was June. It was and it, and um, but we were shooting all nights because it's a horror movie, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we would shoot all night. And it was and it would get freezing up there shooting all night. And then we'd go back to sleep in, we were just staying at the Flying J, which is right off the freeway. Yep. There. It's a so truck we stop, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it was so cheap. Ryan and I shared a room, and but it was so fucking hot. It was so hot during the day. And we're trying to sleep, and the sun's blazing in there. And, and we would have to race. And then we'd get up before we are going to go shoot that night. And Ryan and I would drive. Uh, it was like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to basically where, um, uh, Universal Studio, whatever the, uh, um, park is there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because there was a Kinko's that had Wi-Fi or in internet. So we could go there and then we would review shots and, and, um, pass files and look at stuff and then come back and, and then shoot that night and show stuff to the director. But, uh. Wow. Yeah, it was just crazy. We just go there each day just so we had some internet and come back, and <laughs> it was all nuts. That's crazy. All nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then uh, you know, moving along at uh, the orphanage, one of the one of the last shows we did there was Iron Man, mm. uh, first Iron Man, um, which was one of those shows that was. Um, extremely painful but extremely rewarding yeah um yeah that was that was that was a tough show i mean it was we were doing iron man shots and ilm was doing iron man shots and it was uh and so we you know we were side by side with ilm on our our iron man shots um and what had happened was everybody who wanted to work on an iron man shot for it had to do a test so we did a test, ILM did a test, DD did a test, you know, everybody did a test. And um, and they, they, they wanted him flying and they wanted him shooting. And so everybody had done these little tests and me being obsessed with the way it was, I wanted to do uh, a little story, a little short. So um, we storyboarded out a little short and it was the short of, of him flying and he gets shot down by a tank and then he crashes into the ground and then the tank's going to shoot at him and he shoots the tank and it blows up and he walks away. And that was going to be our test. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what we ended up doing another test. And John Favreau just thought it was amazing and loved it. And one us in the show, he said, in the sequence I want you to do is I want to make this sequence part of the movie. And that became, uh, that, that became ultimately the sequence we worked on, but was, uh, the, in, in that amongst some other stuff. Um, that was the Iron Man sequence we worked on though. Um, the Galmero sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it, it was originated from the test we did. Right. Um, but, um, so that was, that was crazy. Cause you know, it was the first time we were really doing that type of work and it was hard. And, um, you know, and we were again, side by side with ILM. So it'd be good. And it was, it was just, and, you know, Marvel was difficult then. <laughs> they're, they're yeah, that's difficult the first now. Marvel they, film, really. Yeah, and they it was, and they everybody wanted on it, so they, they, so they really, you know, 
they push you down on prices and they push you on time and they, you know, they had to wait and all that stuff. So it was tough. It was, right. like I said, it was, it was the most painful show I've ever worked on, but also extremely rewarding because I'm, right. I'm really proud of the work we did. Um, cause also what I got to do on the show is we were tasked with doing all the graphics for in the house. Okay. Um, okay. that, that happened in the house. And then, uh, at one point, John Nelson was showing me the images they had where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do inside the Iron Man helmet helmet mm -hmm. and how that's going to look. And, um, and, and, uh, and they had showed me an image. It was of Dave from 2001 when he's got the, you see the reflection of all of the, um, graphics on him. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, so, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, we're trying to figure out maybe reflects on him or whatever, but he's in the helmet. So, but we want to see his POV of the graphics cause he's dealing with the computer and, and we were trying to find out, well, the helmet's really tight. So are you, is it is POV? Are you seeing it? It, it? it was really, it was a difficult design problem. And, huh. um, and so I, I said, if I could, you know, can I take a whack at it? And, um, and so what, uh, and I'm a big fan of anime mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I had seen Appleseed, which I used as, you know, the basis of the look of Appleseed where they're in these machines, but there's a lot of space around, but they have all these graphics going around them. Right. And so, um, so that was kind of the impetus for what we did in the Iron Man helmet. And then we did a test, uh, we just filmed the, they, they had filmed, we had filmed the guy. And, uh, and then we did these more basic graphics around, but basically one shot where he targets something and then, uh, and they loved it. So we ended up doing all of the in helmet work, which was a massive amount of work that had then got added to our workload. Um, and we had, uh, we ended up doing it all in 3d and nuke. Um, so it could be interactive. Um, and so it was an, another one that just grinded our um, network too. Just nothing. Yeah. It was, so, yeah, it was. But that it, established it, a look could, for, for, for the rest of everything that. They yeah. Done. Like I said, rewarding, painful, but rewarding, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it was, a, it, it was hard. It was, it was fun, but it was, it was hard. And, uh, and yeah, the, um, and, uh, uh, working in nuke doing that it was just nuke was not really that designed for 3d at the time mm -hmm. so we were really because we were just doing lines more or less around everything it was all graphics but uh it just nuke was just suffering under it um right. and then uh one of the guys who worked with us who had been working with us forever uh dob rosh who's a designer um he and i kind of built would work together but he had built all of we the graphics and the stories that we were trying to tell with the graphics and you know there was a lot of you know bringing things forward and bringing things back and you know and then i had gone um to stage with john nelson and we had shot robert Downey jr we just shot him in front of a you know uh green and i'd set up a bunch of lights so i could so while he's talking i could have him look and see lights flash back at him as he's talking and, and most importantly reflect in his eyes and then um and then we used, so that's how we built the, his, his head in there. And then we, um, and then we would use that to and build up all the interactivity and everything else that was going on. It was, it was a lot of design and trying to see where it faded off and, and, uh, and, you know, 
how many how much depth was on it all that stuff. all the design issues you go into that are way more complex than you think it is when you're just watching it go by sure. you know <laughs> yeah sure, sure, sure. we had this book we had this binder that was like this thick of of every shot and every story that needed to be told in every shot and what each thing was going to do and then we had it we had it written down and then we had to draw it out and it was just there's a lot of storytelling to figure that out, which was, which was fun, but it was also, it was, it was a lot. That's a lot. We were grinding on it. Yeah. yeah. It was great. But yeah. it was, it was, like I said, rewarding, but really painful. And that was the last thing you guys did at the, at the orphanage? And- One of the last, we were still, we were finishing up Hero and Hero was really the last show we did. Okay. Um, but what was happening at the time was, uh, that was when Canada was starting to do all their Canadian tax incentives. Yep. And, uh, so it was really pressing our budgets down and, and it was becoming really difficult and so much that we even built, we even, uh, built a Canadian facility for a while that we used on, um, live free die hard. Okay. Uh, and they had done the elevator sequence up in Canada and Vancouver. And then we had done the, all the jet work and the freeway collapsing down in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had tried to make it work in Canada, but ultimately we just, we couldn't either it just wasn't gonna work right it was just too much for a studio our size anyway so um so yeah in 2010 uh we decided just there was just no way we were gonna make it happen and um and uh fortunately at the same time uh image movers digital imd mm-hmm. was starting up and so they were able to take um a large amount of employees at the time i was painful to see it happening but they were able to ingest a lot of the artists that we had there so nobody was uh or not nobody but those artists weren't left out in the cold you know sure um for us closing down but it was it's hard because everybody there was my friends right you know and i loved everyone there and we were working hard in the last week basically everybody helped out working for free just to get the last shots out because we were done and 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 but we just needed we needed to get those shots out for the show. So it was, um, and everybody got on board. It was it was great. It was a family. It really was. That right. that time of the or, or um, at the orphanage was probably you know one of my greatest times in the industry because it, it really was a family atmosphere and everybody just loved being there, loved working together. You know the standard was extremely high for everything. Um, people were just innovating all the time on the tools because they were, you know, we were the, one of the really early off the shelf software companies, you right. know, and we, and we still had, you know, generalists. We were, we were like, we're going to go with generalists and we're going to go off the shelf. Right. That's how we did it. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was great. I'm, I'm so thankful that that happened in my life. It was great. Yeah. Um, but it was also okay when it was done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah really. for sure. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, you, I feel, honestly, I feel that you're, you should feel vindicated because generalists are, are back in a big way. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely something that I think is, is great that, you know, your, your, your talent as an artist can be, you know, start to finish, right. Not just yeah feeling like you're part of a pipeline. That's not, yeah. Not as. Rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you just, all your love goes into those shots, you know, every detail and, and you know, it's you and you're, you're just proud of it and it's right. it's great so um yeah i'm a, I'm a big fan you know uh, of it for sure and it, even now when uh we work on the films i supervise now i always try to have an in-house team mm. that 
uh, has at least a, a 3D, you know, 3D artist and then compositors and whatnot. Because sure. I just sure. love the idea of generalists being able to just crank on stuff. Sure. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, so in 2010 we shut down the orphanage and um, and then the, the first gig I ever did out on my own was. Um, my that old producer Jody Eschgary, who made me work on Day After Tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, he was now one of the producers on Avatar. Mm. Yeah, and and they needed to design all of their screens for mm. uh, on Avatar, and they were all these curved screens yep. that had were supposed to have multiple depths to them and all this stuff, and you know they had all sorts of design problems with that. On do you see the backside, and you know what happens on the angles, and then of course what does that look like? So. Uh, they ended up uh, asking me to come on, and um, and then I brought out a, a design team, th- and I worked again with Davrash, and um, and we designed all the screens for Avatar. Um, uh, we did that, which was actually an amazing job because, um, for those who were around during that time, Avatar was a brutal show for people working on it. It was going on for years and people working their asses off on our, um, and, uh, you would see, you would see, <laughs> it reminds me that the two times I've seen this is when, uh, they were doing, I think it was matrix reloaded. It was matrix two or three. I can't remember. Sure. And we were going to go and we were going to help out on matrix. We were trying to get an opportunity to help out on matrix. And, uh, we went in there, with John Gata to, to talk to them. And you walked through the halls of ESC, which is the yeah. company doing all the work. And first of all, all the halls were lined with boxes of servers. Like they just, they, they were, there were so many servers coming into that place every day that they didn't know what to do with it all. So they were just stacked in the halls. Right. And then, and then uh, you would see the people walking there and it literally looked like you were watching The Walking Dead. I mean, people were just, their eyeballs were dark and sunk in and they were just kind of walking around dazed and just people just never went home. And it was just, they were all dying working there. It was just brutal. And it was similar to what you saw in the people who were working on Avatar. Right. <laughs> it was kind of, kind of a similar look. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but what was great about it was, so we got a bra on, we designed all of the, uh, motion graphics and and the look of how all that was going to work on the screens and then we did like three shots and came up with a system and how it was going to operate and a systematic composite and all that and then we wrote a book and handed it off to the visual effects facilities and so we got to design it all show proof of concept and then walk away (laughs) which for those of you who worked in visual effects that is the best thing you could ever do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> here's how it looks. It's, it's, Good luck. <laughs> yeah. All the fun without any of the pain, right. you know? So, uh, uh, it was cool. I got to sit with, uh, James Cameron and talk through the shots and it was, that was amazing. And, um, you know, there, there was a saying that, you, that, you know, everybody on that show who dealt with, uh, Jim, it probably, gotten bit at one time or another mm-hmm. uh but uh and that was another one. i was like i went out of that movie unscathed but i think the only reason is is i just didn't work on it long enough to get caught you know <laughs> so, um but uh but it was super fun it was, it was uh 
you know, just being able to do all that design and, and just have a great time with it. And then, and then, um, and then be able to just turn it in was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, so did that. And then the next film I worked on was, um, uh, priest, uh, oh, with right. Scott Stork, who was my partner, but then started directing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, so I, w- I was the show soup on his first, uh, okay. actually it was his second film, his second film, but, um, so you must have worked with Rob Niederhorst. I think he was working on that too. Oh yeah, yeah. Rob's great. <laughs> yeah. I love Rob. Yeah, well, you yeah. guys get the you got some commonality with uh, with John Wick as well because he was the soup on John Wick three, right? Yeah, I introduced him to Chad. Right. Okay. Yeah, because um, when uh, I was talking about it to Chad and helping him um, for what was it three uh, uh, and. Um, kind of working out how to do the, uh, the glass room. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. We had set up, um, on stage, taped out the whole space, and then you could put on VR glasses and move throughout the space that, right. that we had built a CG version. That was with Alex and, Nice you were working with, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He's great. So, but I couldn't work on the show cause I was on, um, another film at the time, okay. uh, uh, Predator. And so, uh, I recommended rob and uh and that it was great perfect uh, loved them and they they did a fantastic job so it was, it was cool awesome awesome. but um but yeah so um so yeah that i've been doing you know uh show side supervising ever since yeah and it, it's an awesome you know <laughs> early on my my big thing was i've i've gone from uh super you know i i we'd shut the orbit i started my own company to manage myself for uh when i started doing a um feature side and uh i always said i went from a company of 150 to one right um which which was great because you know when you start having a company and it starts getting bigger you end up spending more time managing people than you do actually doing the work sure i started becoming very sad that i was spending all my time managing people yeah um uh, yeah, the, one of the saddest days was when we got big enough where we had a we needed an HR department. You know, I was like, oh my god, we're just too big now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, so that was incredible. Just going from overseeing all those people and all the worrying about all those problems to just being focused on myself and the movie and nothing else. And um, to me, it was like a kid in a candy store. I just, I just got so energized by the process and all the way through. It was just so cool to be on now. Once, cause you know, when you, when, when you work and I'm sure you know this, but when, when you work at a visual effects studio and you're just an artist at a visual effects studio, um, a lot of the creative opportunity is taken away from you, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, you're just managing a shot and you know, you put your own love in each shot to make it great. But, it's the VFX supervisor at the studio that's giving you all your notes. And then, and then that goes on to the show size VFX supervisor who's giving you all notes. And the look of it was designed by the art department that it happened long before you ever even, yep. you know, were in post. And so a lot of that design and storytelling is, is, is taken away from you as an artist. And even as a show side supervisor, you know, you get closer to it, but you're just kind of eking closer to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've always loved that creative side of the process. Right. Um, so once I got to be on the studio side and I was designing creatures and designing action and, 
you know, and because we were figuring out how they were going to interact and, and, you know, you're designing the looks of environments and, and just, and then coming up with the ways how we were going to be able to film it to get it to be able to do the work and have it interact with everything else. It just, I just loved it. I just loved it. And then, then I loved, you know, I, I always say that, you know, being a show side soup, you, you kind of have three jobs. Your, your first job is in prep. And then you do another job that's why you're shooting. And then you have another job in post. And they're all very different from one another. Right. You know, when you're in prep, it's all, it's all designed. Does either the design of looks or the design of how are you going to mix what you do with the practical teams and, and you know, interfacing with the DP and the stunt guys and, and um, the production designer. And I, I just love that process of, of figuring out how everything's going to work and how it's going to look and how you're going to make it look real. I, my big things as a soup is is I love to make things look completely photoreal and it, the best things you could ever say to me is either a how did they do that or b I didn't even realize I was a visual effects right you know <laughs> um, that's a good way to so put it. I mean I I've always loved the if you don't if they don't if they don't know you you've been there then you've succeeded and that's you know uh, absolutely but if they all that, that's another one is like, how did the hell did they do that is also an amazing yeah. thing to think about yeah those those are my favorite things. We had done a shot, sorry, I'm jumping around. Um, we had done a shot on Superman Returns mm -hmm. uh, where uh, it's the end of the movie and uh, um, and basically Superman is in a hospital. He's gone to the hospital and what happens is it's a, it's a wonder where you follow this nurse running down the corridor and then she runs in the room and Superman's gone, but the bed's there. And then the camera pushes over the bed out the window and you look down the street, uh, which was in um, Sydney, but we made to be New York. Mm -hmm. And then you push in on that. And as you're pushing in, it fades into Lois Lane's office. But the different pieces of New York become different parts of her office uh, geometrically. Wow. So, uh, so we had to line up and build buildings and the moon and things like that, which then became bookcases and cabinets and a desk and her light um in her office but wow. to do it was crazy because we're like we like how the hell are we gonna do this shot so we had to come up because they used a steady cam to uh bring us into the room which we then switched over to a, a motion control machine which had to go over the bed and we had to do it a couple times with the bed there with the bed not there and all these passes which then took us to um a dolly that took us out to the window which then took us to a crane that pushed us down the street which then faded into a dolly which was going down her uh in her office in her house wow so we had to figure out how to blend all of that happening while doing all the design elements that go there it was it was just one of those shots that you watch it you have no idea that all that was going on sure. in in the course of doing that shot it, it, as long as we're doing it right. Right. Um, but it was, but it was one of those ones just like extremely complex, even though it looks really simple at the end. Cause in the, in the movie, you just, you run down with her and then the camera goes over the bed and you push down the thing. And sure. it's there. But yeah, it was, so that was, that was a fun one. just trying to work out an extremely complex thing that you just would never realize it was like that. So I, I just love, I get jazzed about that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, it, it definitely accesses the part of my brain that I, I get excited about. Um, but yeah, so so you do all that work in in prep, where you, and you're, you're figuring it all out, and this you know the stunt guys are doing the stunts, and they're like, but how are we gonna do this? Uh, um, and then because uh, it's gonna you're gonna fight a CG creature or whatever, 
and then um, and then when you start shooting, everyday shooting is a is a thing. You know, right. <laughs> everyday shooting is a, is a day of problems. And I I've always said, you know, you plan as much as you can. So on the day when you shoot and it all goes to shit, at least you're starting from something. Right. Because you know? <laughs> it will it will go to shit, and there's something will go wrong, and there'll be a million problems all day long. Sure. Um, so, uh, but it's and you know and then. You know, figuring out how people interact on it is just fun. So that's a, that's a whole other thing. I'm I'm always I'm the one guy on set who's smiling every day shooting. I just love being out there. You know, I love doing it. Um, when we were shooting the last John Wick, and I think I might even mention it, it was you know we shot you know 90 days of nights, and we shot 13 straight weeks of nights, and yep. it was freezing cold and raining on us all the time. And there were two people on set that were smiling. It was me and Chad Stahlski. You know, everybody else is miserable. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, that's cool. I was, you know, we've we've gone for a while, which is awesome. But I do want to ask. I mean, we obviously talked about John Wick Four, which uh, uh, happened more recently. But what what were so, what was some of your your favorite shows that you 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 souped during that time when you were doing uh, on set soups and 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 on set? Yeah, my three favorite shows, I would say, um, which I've been lucky because you know I've, I've, I haven't done that many shows necessarily. Right. I, I tend to work. I've I have a family up here in San Francisco. So my kind of deal with my wife was I'll work on a movie and then I have to take six months to a year off between movies. So, um, to be with the family. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, I would say the, the first one I really loved, um, that I I had a great time doing was after earth. Actually, Mm. it was an amazing show. And that's where I met Chad Stelheski, Mm -hmm. who is the second director on it. Um, but it, we went to all these incredible places. We were in Eureka and then, um, and we were in, um, Costa Rica and we were in Moab, Utah, and we were in Switzerland and the Alps. And then, uh, and I was in Iceland shooting. And so we were just all over the place. It was, it was amazing. And, and, and that movie, uh, everybody wanted to have a good time on that movie. That was, that was, that was probably the most fun party movie I've ever been involved in. And, 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 um, and Night Shyamalan, we, everybody doesn't call him Knight. Right. Uh, Knight would do this amazing thing when we were in Philly. Like he just, he just cared about his crew and he just wanted everybody to have a good time. And if you've ever worked on a movie, they, a lot of times on Fridays, they do this thing where everybody puts money in a pool and different departments do. And then, um, and then, and then somebody wins the the pot at the on $5 Friday. Friday. <laughs> Exactly. You know it. Exactly. Yep. Um, um, but when we were in Philly shooting, Knight changed Five Dollar Friday to every Friday he would give away these crazy sh- trips. Wow. To yeah, he would give trips to like Italy or um, the Seychelles or I mean just all like That's serious insane. huge trips, and he would give one away every week. And it was $5 Friday, but what you won was these insane trips that Knight would put out there. And we had a wrap party after every location, um, which that's a guy who likes to have wrap parties. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then, and then, um, and then also Will Smith is just one of the nicest, wonderful people I've ever worked with. Okay. He's just a great, yeah, just love Will Smith. So mm-hmm. I just love that experience with him. And Knight was great to work with. So it was just, it was a great show and, and, and Chad and when we went, when I went to Iceland, it was the weirdest thing. Sorry. I'm, I'm answering your question a long way here. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, 
Um, I, I flew out there with the with the line producer, and we were, we were in Iceland. We had these two shots. We just had to do in Iceland, and we were um, and Oblivion was shooting up there. Yeah, I worked had, on that. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I think Oblivion a lot was, of things were happening in Iceland at that time. There were helicopters yeah. flying because I wasn't uh, Prometheus was also happening at that time as well, and they were shooting I, up there. I think they were getting going. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was nuts, and so. And so my producer had worked out that we were going to borrow the helicopter because uh, they were using the same Sony camera we were. Yep. And the so, F65, uh, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know. <laughs> and so um, that's funny. And so uh, we were going to borrow the helicopter in the F65, and um, but they didn't know what day we were going to get it sure. because they were using it on the show. So we basically just hung around in Iceland for a week waiting to use the camera. Mm-hmm. And... And the first scout day was awesome because we flew all over Iceland in the helicopter looking for spots to shoot. But also, that's another part of prep I love is scouting. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. But um, but uh, they the, the the helicopter guys like, do you mind if we go? We want to do a kind of a little pre run through uh, for this shot. We the sequence we need to do for um, uh, for the movie uh, for their movie. So I was like, okay, sure, for a living. So it was the sequence where they're flying through the canyon. Yes days so they take me down we start flying through all these canyons uh in the helicopter uh for my scout day i'm like this is amazing <laughs> it's so cool just so lucky yeah um so i got and then we just kind of hung out and that's i met eric barba uh because we were just sitting on the i was just sitting on the set every day right and i just started asking him questions because i didn't have you know, it for those of you who have been on a set it's if you're not working it's boring right <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting around a lot. Yeah. Um, so uh, so uh, uh, I started talking to Eric. And after I was like, who are you? <laughs> Why are you here? Uh-huh. Um, so then I got to know Eric because I, I just every day I'm just sitting there on a set, just hanging out. Um, <laughs> You're not even on the like, same movie. It's kind of funny. No, not even the movie. It's just there. He's like, Why are you here? Who are you? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, was, but then and then we got we got to go to Switzerland, and that's where um, and it was just myself and Chad and our team because we were having guys in squirrel suits uh, fly uh, next to the Eiger because right. we needed these shots next to the mountains. So and we had one guy who was just free flying, and another guy who was going with actually we attached uh, a camera to his chest, right? And. Uh, um, which we had to find a light camera that he could actually fly with. It was all his technical uh, issues with that, but we managed to figure it out. And, um, and we would, uh, so we would just, they, they would do these jumps and we would just line up and we'd have to wait. They were so high up and it, it's funny. You look at that mountain and you don't realize how big it is. Right. And cause we would be down on the bases. We, we were just on the side of this Swiss Hill waiting for him, which was our landing right near our landing site. And we couldn't do anything because you would even look up and you'd, you'd use binoculars. They'd start, they'd drop them from a helicopter and then so they could pick up speed and be along the mountainside. And you'd take binoculars out to go look at them and you think, oh, okay, so they're going to get bigger. They were still a speck going going across the, the side of the mountain. It was, it was incredible. Wow. Um, but then, so Chad and myself and this guy Kwame, who was the producer, we would just sit there and drink cappuccinos while we were waiting for him on this little cafe on the side of the hill. And we would just get jacked on caffeine waiting for these guys to come down. And they come down, like, look at this, look at the marriage, we want to see it. But uh, yeah, so that was, that was fun. The show. that show was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Awesome. And then the last day of shooting, Chad decides where the, the local guys invited us to go on a hike to go get some coffee. This little day hike, he called it. Okay. Well, it was 7,000 uh, vertical feet of hike. I mean, it was insane. Chad and I, Chad and I didn't know if we were going to make it. I mean, our legs were fried going down. I thought my legs were going to drop out of me right? because uh, it was so high up. And, and the worst part was we get to near the top and you get to the near the top. And then there's this, this winding path to go up to this little house. that has been there. I guess Churchill had been there, uh, had stayed there, this little tiny place. And, uh, and we're just dying. We've been hiking for all day to get up there. Sure. And, and it's finally it's the last bit and we're exhausted and we've gone from beautiful to now it's snow up there. And, and all of a sudden I see like these old people walking up there and these kids walking up there. I was like, what the hell? All these people did this hike. Am I really in that bad of shape? Right. And the, and the guy's like, Oh no, there's a, there's a tram. It takes you right here. <laughs> so mad. So bad. You could have just taken the tram the whole time. Taking the tram up there. I was like, you bastard. <laughs> That's funny. But um, yeah, so that, we were just dead. But it was fun. That was fun. Um, and then uh, but that was that was after it was a great show and host had a great time. Sure. Uh and then um and then uh the the my next favorite show was Deadpool was was incredible. Yeah and Deadpool all the way through was set. nobody knew who we were. Nobody had people. I tell them Deadpool, and they thought it was we were doing a remake of the old Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, so, I, Tim, it, Tim's it, been on a couple times on the show, and so I I know his history with that and the passion he has with that project, and it was really kind of amazing, and especially at that time because it was low budget for something like that. Right? Oh yeah, we were low budget. Yeah, we were low budget for sure. They they they. It was amazing because they they didn't want to give us any money, but Tim's, I love Tim. Mm -hmm. Tim's amazing, and um, you know he he wrote a script and designed costumes and designed shots to match his budget. Yeah, like he knew what he was doing, and he was going to work towards it. Um, And anytime the studio came back, he was like, "I'm shooting the script that you approved, that you said it was okay, and I'm doing it in the budget that you said you you gave me." So, um. The only time we went over budget was Tim and I had wanted his face to move because the way the mask is, it's a solid mask. Yes. And and even the head is a shell so that it holds that Deadpool shape. Right. Right. Um, and uh, but they and so at the time, Fox didn't want it. They're like, we don't need his face to move. And I'm like, you've got Ryan Reynolds. Right. And he's behind a mask the whole time. I dealt with this on Iron Man. You're going to want to see his face. Right. If you're not going to see his face, you're going to want to see it move. You right. know? Uh, but at the time, Fox didn't know what movie they had. Right. So they were like, no. Um, but uh, I was sure we were going to do it. So uh, I, I talked to Tim and we did a test where I filmed Ryan acting and then, uh, and then, and then film them with the Deadpool mask on. Mm-hmm. And then we basically did a 2d, 3d blend, uh, to move the face shapes around. Yeah. Um, Especially the eyes were the big ones, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It was all about the eyes. Right. Um, and then, and then once we did that, well, first, once they saw the movie and realized they had a, a fucking incredible movie on their hand. Right. And then, and we showed them the eye test. They're like, okay, we get it. And they uh, and so they found the money for us to do it, yep. and 
And what was so cool about that movie was that everybody wanted to be on that movie, which is one of those movies where everybody wanted to be on it. So we actually got away with having Weta do all of the face mask work for the movie. Yeah, which was, I'm like, really? Weta's going to do this? Like, they want to do it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and the thing I told them, though, it was like, I'm like, no CG heads. I had no time want to replace his head. Everything's got to be real, real, real. So we, so they, what we did was we shot it and then we had them paint out the spec, the highlights. So, um, so that when they reanimated it, the only thing we put back on there, the, 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 the animation was done 2D, 3D. So they moved, just pushed pixels around to have the motion on the, um, Mm -hmm. on the mask. But then we rendered, um, a spec and reflection pass to uh, to go back onto it, so that would move with it. So that was the only thing we comped back on. Was Interesting. The spec and reflect. Interesting. Yeah, and it was a way to a keep the cost down and b. Uh, I just we just did not want to replace his head. We wanted to be the actual mask and everything else, right. um, as practical as possible. So uh, so yeah, that that show it was just a crazy show. Again, everybody was in together. We would I would go out with cast and crew and. You know, Ken saying we would go out all the time uh, uh, and, and drink at our place. And, and uh, it was just it was so much fun. And, and, you know, Tim was just figuring out as he went. So, yep. uh, it, you know, it was that's his first movie. <laughs> yeah, that's his first one. It's yeah, a pretty yeah, good yeah, first was, start. You know, it's a, that's a pretty amazing yeah. thing. But he'd been working on this for a while. Is it true, by the way, that the title sequence was also something that was kind of added later? Like, as our, yeah, right. Definitely. Right. Definitely. And, yeah. That one almost broke blur. I mean, they, I remember, that. I, I was I, uh, so I was at chaos at the time, but I remember them working on that and and peeking to people like Kevin Margo and stuff. I'm like, oh my god, because they didn't they did all those titles as they did the the, the names as a joke because they didn't have mm-hmm. the real titles yet or the real things. Yes, and they kept yes. that right. So a similar story yeah. to what you were we were talking about earlier, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I know that. That's all over that movie for sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy because we were, we were just, they were just doing it, but it, it you know, they had, they were, they're a gaming company, right? Yeah. So when they had to move up to film res, it was just, it was a painful transition sure. for them in terms of their, and I would walk that around that place, and that was where we were posting at. Right. Like we posted out of blur. So mm-hmm. we were there all the time, but the, the, the VFX crew at blur, I think kind of hated me, but, uh. <laughs> I just it, because it was hard, and they were matching the DD shots of uh, yep. that we did for Colossus, and it, it's hard, you know, and it's hard to make that transition. And, and so, then Atomic Fiction did a bunch of stuff too, right? So that was Kevin. Yeah, that was Kevin. All, that was Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Kevin and Ryan. So yeah. We're all just um, small industry. Yeah. We're such a small. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan was my soup on it. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is uh, and then DD. Uh, who was our main vendor? I had Alex Wong mm-hmm. uh, be my supervisor on it. That was his, and, and, and that was his first job as a supervisor. But I trusted Alex so much and knew how talented he was because yep. he worked for me at the orphanage. Um, that uh, I, that I insisted that if DD was going to be on it, that I wanted Alex on the show. Yeah, he's been on this um, podcast. So, he was on right after he did uh, Last of Us stuff because he was the student. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex is awesome. I love Alex. Such so a nice much. guy. Ugh, and so talented, mm-hmm. so talented and so sweet. Yep. Such a nice guy. For sure. Yeah. One of my favorite people. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky cause I, it's, it was one of those opportunities where I got to 
pick all the people working on the show and they were all people I trusted. So I knew I could have the other company that was Rodeo that uh, yeah. and Wayne Britton was on that one. And Wayne was awesome too. So they, they everybody just did such an incredible job on that show. And uh, so, you know, it's like, I was working with my friends yep. and uh, and we were doing this cool thing that nobody knew what it was, but everybody was going to go crazy over it. Right. And, you know, it was so different and fun and, and unique at the time. It was just, it was really cool. Awesome. So that was one. And then the, and the last one I'll say was John McPork. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I can't he, imagine uh, why it wouldn't be. I mean, that, I mean, having heard that story that you told on the previous episode, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was great. And I just, I, I look, I look up to Chad, and I think he's just one of the most incredible directors I've ever worked with. He's just so intelligent, and so he and I don't, people don't realize all the all the artistic references and all the things that are going into these John Wick movies that are just super subtle mm-hmm. and in there. But he's but he thinks about all that stuff all the time, and he's so involved in every aspect of that movie in a way that I just haven't seen other directors just take on. I mean. To the point where the costume design, he was he, he wasn't getting what he wanted, so he went on the internet and just started designing, you know, coming giving all the information of designing the costumes because it's what he wanted to have. And it, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's just and it, you know every knife and every every little detail of it, which directors do, but sure. he definitely is on steroids sure. for sure. Sure. Um, well, listen, yeah. this has been an amazing journey. Uh, so many great stories. Uh, I also love the fact that the, we cross paths in many different weird ways that I <laughs> we yeah, never yeah. actually met. And so, yeah. uh, but but it's really really cool to hear that, Jonathan. And, and I love I love these stories and uh, love to stay in touch with you, you know, and hear Absolutely. your next great adventure. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, actually, I'd love to tell you some of the cool stuff we're doing as well and see. Uh, oh, yeah. you're up to as well so but thank you okay. so much man i really these are such great stories you know i know we've gone a little long we had a little bit of technical issues to get this off the road but in <laughs> the end in the end we've got this incredible story so thank you so much man oh my pleasure this is fun you know for sure I, it's, i'm not usually one who talks about myself so it's a little weird but uh <laughs> yeah but i got it out of you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Got it out of you. Perfect. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Chris.